What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. When putting together your gear, wrap a piece of duct tape around your water bottle. It's barely noticeable, but if another piece of gear breaks or tears, pull off your tape to make a quick patch or repair. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down for me, Slater. Write that down for me, Slater. Welcome back to Write That Down. I'm one of your hosts, Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com. I'm a staff writer at F4WOnline.com and WrestlingObserver.com. I'm back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, broadcast journalist, my co-host, Mr. Fumi Saito. All right, so for this episode, we're kicking off our latest deep dive showcase series. We are going to focus on the history of Joshi pro wrestling or women's pro wrestling in Japan. Um, there are lots of blind spots throughout women's wrestling's history in Japan. So um, while it is more difficult to account in general than men's wrestling, we did our best to fill in the blanks and provide the broad strokes. Um, we generally cover from around 1948 into like late 60, 67 in the early 70s today. And we spent a lot of time talking about Mahafumiake. We talked about... Beauty Pair, Maki Ueda, Jackie Sato, and we spoke a lot about Mildred Burke, uh, among others, today, so lots more of that. Enjoy it. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Fight Game Media Network, the podcast feed, the free feed on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you usually listen to your podcast. It does always help us out, helps us out a ton. All right, that's it. Let's get into Joshi Pro Wrestling History, part one. Doki's and four episodes of Jan Baba, and I think we are not going to avoid women's wrestling, you know, because just because it's so hard. Um, this history, uh, more like a, a official history of women's professional wrestling, traces back to like 1945. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that the Kiki's walking around top of my table. <laughs> yeah, hello Kiki. She did a run-in. Yeah, yeah. He. He, excuse me, he, he. Excuse yeah, he's a boy. Yeah, big boy. Um, that uh, women, the first thing, you know, American audience, American fans, you know, who wants to learn history and study history of Joshi Pro Wrestling, um, Japanese women's professional wrestling, pro wrestling, was never part of men's show. That's the basic difference. Mm-hmm. See, you and I talk, you know, talk about, uh, well, we have to touch upon Mildred Bark. Hmm. And uh, Fabulous Muller and her school of wrestling and the uh, wrestlers, you know, she produced and all that. And uh, 
they've always been part of the men's show. Just one right. match in between some sand, sand, sandwich between men's card. And uh, during the war, um, a lot of, you know, a part of the audience too, but the wrestlers were away in, uh, during the war uh, in Europe or somewhere. And uh, that's where Mildred Bark in, in, during 1940s headlined big wrestling card in America uh, as a big star because there was a war, you know. But uh, yes, um, post is, this is wrestling, but we still have to learn some, you know, things about real world. And, and there was a war, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, the World War II. And there was, you know, 1941, there was a Pearl Harbor. 1945, there was Hiroshima and Narasaki. And the war was over. And there's a thing called GHQ, General Headquarter, um, uh, U.S. Occupation of Japanese Land, uh, you know, GHQ, General Headquarter, um, uh, that uh, led by General MacArthur. And what are we talking about? In 1951, there was a, a tribute to troops, right? Uh, that the very beginning of Ricky Dozan era pro wrestling in 1951, that, that I mean, so. Uh, uh, 1949, and I'm sorry, yeah, that uh, Bobby Bruns and and his crew and his, you know, uh, his, you know, that the tour crew came to Japan and ran the the wrestling tour for the troops and a little bit for Japanese audience. Okay, mm-hmm. like a USO tour, pretty much, yeah, because it's ac- under U.S. occupation still. And uh, the troops were still in Japan, and then Bobby Bronze and his his wrestling crew, that the whole tour thing came to Japan for the tribute for the troops in Japan, and they had Japanese audience in the building, and it's it, that the building was Memorial uh, Hall, which was old Sumo Palace actually, and they changed the name during the uh, U.S. occupation. It was 1951 that uh, the war was over 1945. Six years later, the U.S. occupation remained. That the general head, headquarters uh, that, that was still in Japan, and uh, the Bobby Browns and his crew and came in and had wrestling tour for the tribute for the troops. And Ricky Dozen joined and debuted, and therefore the birth of pro wrestling in Japan. Right? Mm-hmm. He kind of imported it to Japan. Yeah, and then also this. The domestic superstar and the promoter to be in Ricky Dozen. Mm. Yeah, that's the yeah in in the more uh, revised, motivated uh, that uh, modified history of you know pro pro wrestling in Japan. Uh, they want want to you know have story like Ricky Dozen started all you know. Right. Ricky, yeah, that's also partially true because Ricky Dozen was a promoter. Ricky Dozen was a superstar and uh, Ricky Dozen pretty much did it all, but uh, he couldn't have had network television right from the get go. Right. And Mm -hmm. the Mitsubishi big sponsorship, a big, you know, budget behind it. And all these times it's like a post-war period. And, uh, there was no such thing as a working visa for Americans to come in. Right. Sure. All these things had to be created, and uh, yeah, Ricky Dozen was responsible uh, to make television huge, and also he made, um, yeah, if there was no wrestling, 
television wouldn't have been as as popular right away. And if if there wasn't television, Ricky Dozen wouldn't be as just as popular. So they helped each other. That's the birth of progress in Japan. That uh, the, another big piece of history that's been so overlooked. Same 1951, the women's professional wrestling, the seeds were planted. Mildred Park, the, okay, November of 1951 to be exact, the, 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 the tour group of Mildred Park, Mildred Park and, and uh, May Young, yes, the same May Young, great May Young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who worked all the way till 1999 or, or 2000 for worked that. Worked until yeah. the Attitude Era. I think so. That same, same May Young. Yeah. Mildred Park as promoter and champion. And uh, May Young, Rita Martinez, Bruce Bolt Kelly, uh, Gloria Bartini. Uh, uh, right. The, the six women's wrestler, uh, Beverly Anderson. Yeah. So six women's wrestler came over and toured Japan, just like the Sharp, Sharp Brothers did. But that part of history was pretty much forgotten. Not forgotten, we know about it, but it wasn't as publicized as. The, one reason was that Rick Dozen kind of resented women's wrestling uh, as a whole. And he, that, that is why J, Rick Dozen and JWA company never used women's wrestling. Okay. Hang on, hang on, okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Yeah, so in 90, the part of the history, it's been so overlooked that the women's wrestling in Japan, the, the, the big seed were planted the same year, 1951. Mildred Bark and her crew came in and they did the, the tour for, for the U.S. troops. And that's when Mildred Bark discovered quite a few women's wrestlers in Japan and trained here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Therefore, the beginning of women's wrestling, officially 1951. But rewind the tape a little, a little bit. There's a, like a domestic women's wrestling as early as 1948. Uh, the vaudevillians in Japan that... Uh, Ikari brothers and, and her, you know, Ikari brothers, the Vaudevillians, and their two sisters started wrestling professionally, you know, the, the running shows around the country, just like women's res- professional wrestling in America. And uh, the, the mentality was more of a barnstorming. Is that the words right? Correct? You know, like uh, the it barnstorming. Was definitely, it was definitely. That kind of uh, it was more of an attraction than as a competitive match. It was still or a sport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a sport, but, but kind uh, of like a, a novelty sport. Not your yeah, not show, your typical showbiz. Yeah, showbiz sport. Yeah, showbiz. Well, if you want to go back to the root of something like women's wrestling in Japan, you can go back. To 1600 and 1700s, the women's sumo wrestling, seriously. Oh my God. That existed, what, the uh, 300 years period, you know, that was just like, you know, sumo wrestling and professional wrestling in, 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 in the West, very similar, you know. A lot of times it's a star, you know, driven sport or entertainment, and 
people have questioned that the legitimacy of it, if it's real competitive sport or the being entertainment, and the sumo always had that, you know, uh, the nature in it because they wrestle in front of people and in audience and people choose good guy and bad guys and they want good guy to win or there's more like a realm of cultural anthropology if you think about it you know and also very limited resource of information because that the record cannot be found mm. because they didn't cover it as a sport you know and uh so but yeah, to make a long story, story short here, that, that there was such thing as women's sumo wrestling mm-hmm. in about 300-year period. It was very similar uh, to women's wrestling. And some people look at women's, as women's, women's sumo in Japan as the root of Joshi pro wrestling. Mm. That's what I'm talking about. I see. Yeah, because yeah, you, know, you are going in, in front of audience and the uh, sumo ring above the ground a little bit, much like wrestling ring, and people around it, they call it ring, although it's round, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, 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 yeah, this is like a square, but the, the, the thing is, you can watch both wrestling, pro wrestling and sumo wrestling from a 360 degree angle from anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, it's very, and above the ground, so people can watch. Mm-hmm. It's very that the that the the whole stylization of building up, you know, the creation of in, entertainment form is always always been very similar, you know, Western pro wrestling and Japanese uh, sumo wrestling. Really, as a cultural anthropology, it's very very similar. Anyhow, uh, so the, the the root was there in Europe. There is like you know. Before George Hacken Schmidt and all this, there have been wrestling or something similar to that. You know, we've been doing that since I don't know Greek period, right? I mean, everywhere, every country has its own kind of wrestling history. And yeah, very different. big men or big women. I mean, almost naked, go out there, go up there, and then fight, huh? They would go and fight for the the woman's uh, for to marry someone to marry a woman of the village. They were doing or, or it just to the entertainment purpose for entertainment. People, yeah, because these people are normally bigger than regular people, right? In some countries like Nigeria or Mongolia, they would do wrestling in the off season of uh, crop like off crop season. So sure, when it would sure. when it was. Uh, a certain weather it would be and because and this is also interesting it especially around the world wrestling and in japan wrestling and non-wrestling events traditional or ritual events are associated with sumo a lot of mm, yeah after rice farm got a hold of harvest yeah sure sure there's that and there's also the the um there's a lot of different parts to a full sumo show and a full joshi pro wrestling show in that there's not just the fight in the ring there's yeah, a lot that happens a, a, before asia or the part of the asia or the iran or the india pakistan all the way to like a china that korea to japan all these that the uh wrestlers or i or including sumo wrestlers right 
or uh, the fighters or the gladiators. They were owned by the, uh, the this is like a stable of wrestlers were owned by land, you know, landlords. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's this, this is, there were a formation of like a very beginning of professional wrestling, like uh, things in every culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, anyhow. Yeah. It, well, I think it also it it speaks to what people wanted for entertainment, and in Japan, Joshi Pro Wrestling ended up we we call it you know women's pro wrestling, but there's a little bit extra to it compared to any other types of pro wrestling. There's a lot of showbiz to it. Yeah, yeah, and also yeah, the, so that that's why I touched upon women's sumo wrestling culture it goes back to 1600 and 1700s. And uh, now that the fast forward the tape a little bit, only three years after the war, 1948, there was women's wrestling in Japan before Rikidozen. Interesting, huh? Mm. Yeah. And in 1955, I mean, 1951, the same year Rikidozen debuted as a professional wrestler under Bobby Brown's and and in, in, in 1954, you already have TV, and you have Sharp Brothers, Ricky Dozen, Masahiko Kimura, that's a big television extravaganza, and television made wrestling famous, and wrestling made television famous, like a, like a gorgeous Joji era. And those are all men's wrestling. Mm-hmm. And women's wrestling, same year, 1951, Mildred Bark came to Japan and planted the seed. American-style professional wrestling. And five wrestlers, deb- Japanese women wrestlers, debuted. And by 1955, they were like, a, uh, it's like, just like, you know, history repeating itself. And not just one company, but by 1955, there was um, all Japan women's wrestling, not the version of all Japan pro wrestling that we know of, like from 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, but the all Japan Pro Wrestling Association and Tokyo Universal Joshi Pro Wrestling Dan, All Japan Pro Wrestling Club, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling. Not the Tokyo Joshi that you know, right? I mean, today, but it's a different. I mean, seventy-year-old. I mean, I mean, uh, seventy years ago, there was another Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling and Hiroshima Joshi Pro Wrestling. It's like a seven women's wrestling company around uh, around Japan. I mean around the island by 1955 all american style professional wrestling very interesting huh see this that the all japan pro wrestling that you know bonakano the manami tota the ajakang the kyoko you know is the, the glorified this is like big huge all japan women's pro wrestling ajww that wouldn't start until 1968. Hmm. There was a time in, in mid fifties to all through sixties, there were women's company running shows around country in Japan and popular, but these were uh, the, the the groups that the, they were weren't covered by sports pages or even wrestling magazine didn't even cover all that much. The, there was quite a few reasons for it that the, during Ricky Dozen's era, the Ricky Dozen pretty much resented the women's wrestling uh, as a whole. And uh, <clears throat> basically, um, that, that's why that uh, Ricky Dozan's JWA never had women's match uh, uh, at their shows. Zero. That's, that's still the tradition 
until today. I mean, in general, yeah, New Japan, New Japan, or Japan never have women's wrestlers in their, in their ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost race. I mean, like almost sexist thing or male chauvinistic thing. That I'm not so proud of it, but uh, but the tradition remains. You know, set the subjects aside. You know, yeah, yeah. It's just I think most Japanese fans compartmentalize. There's women's wrestling here. There's men's wrestling over here. Um, sometimes they overlap, but in general, they're they're totally different. Whereas I think now, especially now, uh women's wrestling men's wrestling it's very very mixed here you'll see now yes most now programs yes. have one or two or more uh women's matches tag team matches it's more competitive but it's uh it's not too and there are stars female stars oh definitely but i i yeah, think that... one of the big differences we'll get into it later uh and probably into other episodes too is the style in the ring uh it looks it's just it's like what the men do not not mm. trying to reduce it to like it's that's all it is but in general, the style is pretty similar to what men would do in the ring today. If you watch those old 1950s, 1960s matches with women, with Mildred Because Burke, they were coached different by a different wrestling. group of people. Yeah, yeah. now that with the WWE Performance Center or the independent you know, wrestling companies or wrestling schools around the country in, in the States, yeah, they, the men and women were trained together in the ring. Therefore, the styles are the same, one and the same. And working left hand side, you know, work left, turn right, and the form is the same, you know, the men's wrestling and the women's wrestling. Whereas Japanese wrestling, Joshi Pro Wrestling, we should call it, Japanese wrestling, Joshi Pro Wrestling, women's wrestling had its own evolution and, and a different development in history that a lot of women's wrestlers uh, or wrestling companies in Japan who had, had this. Initially, Mildred Park, and in late 60s, Fabulous Miller School of Wrestling. But a lot of, the, of this women's company in Japan had Mexican lucha influence. Therefore, mm-hmm. you know, you work right, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, in, you know, instead of having left hand, you know, left arm first, but the right, you know, when you do the, I'm, I'm talking about the lockup and, uh, you know, color and the elbow tie up. But at the beginning of the match, you have right arm forward, and just like Mexican style. That happens in women's wrestling, even to this day. That uh, oh, people like you know uh, that the Meiko Satomura, she can work both because initially she learned the right arm first in the Mexican style, then adapted to a left first. That's mm. why she are able to do both hand, you know, both style. But in all Japan, you know. All Japan style, all the way till nineties, including people like Ajakan, it's Mexican right hand style. Mm. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out of market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket. Now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to 
happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We'll have to talk about that more um, when we get when uh, Mexico. The more modern. Yeah. yeah. Well, also just when and Mexican companies and Japanese companies when women's wrestling started to um, work together and start business relationships. Yeah, but the, we don't know how Lucha Libre became right hand work, work right style. There's a quite a few different theories to it. You know, Mexican wrestler who learned style in in in, in America brought that back and and made made mistakes to making everything right hand instead of left. That's another thing, and uh, it's just quite a few different theories as to why Lucha Libre work on right, and we don't, we still don't have the answer to this day, you know. But uh, uh, that the fact is though that when Japanese women's pro wrestling had so much Lucha influence early on, that the right hand side you know, work style is still there. I mean, still here in Japan. That's what I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, people like Jaguar, Yokota, or, or even Bon Nakano, they, you know, when you lock up, you have your right arm forward a lot of times in Japan. But mm-hmm. now it's, you know, universal uh, uh, that the style uh, that the stardom wrestlers always left, you know, that the, you know, like worldwide style. And uh, there's a differences in style if you look at it in, in details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it evolved in a different way. I mean, you you can watch men's wrestling. You can see a lot of. It's not too. um, Doesn't deviate from what it originally was. It does, but doesn't do that too much. Right, right. Women's wrestling. There were a lot of different influences. A lot of the wrestlers would define what the style was like at the time. Yeah, yeah, but I I don't want to bore all the listeners out about the big details of this, you know, <laughs> Japanese Joshi pro wrestling in 1950s. Well, but the the plant, I mean, the seeds were planted way back in 1951 by Mildred Bark, and that portion of history has been all so overlooked. So that the uh, women's wrestling in Japan is just as old or even older than Ricky Dozen's pro wrestling. For the, you know, it's interesting. And she's the one and, who brought over yeah. the WWA, WWWA title. That is a little bit later on. Like uh, you have to fast forward n- another fifteen years because it will be. It won't be until like sixty-seven. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. So it's it, a little bit later. Yeah, the, the post-war only six years after the war was over, and it's still GHQ General Headquarter. You know, occupation in Japan that the uh, that the tribute to troops wrestling show from America uh, was was produced in Japan, and there were you know Bobby Brown's men's wrestling uh, tour that discovered Ricky Dozen, and also 1951, same year, the Mildred Bark uh, had a tour, women's wrestling all around the country, very popular, and uh, just as popular, I think, and uh, like a new entertainment from America, and it was going to be popular, but JWA and Ricky Dozen didn't really take up on women's wrestling as, as a part of the JWA thing, and Therefore, women's wrestling has a completely different history and completely different development, completely different evolution. Women's wrestling grew as women's wrestling in Japan. That's what I'm trying to get to. Hmm. Yeah. But that by having that completely separate history, that the, we always had many wrestlers, women's wrestlers, not just two wrestlers among men's card. You know, 
know, there always been women's company, you know, women's wrestling company around right. the country. It had its own, yeah. it had its own group. It wasn't just one or two matches on the men's show. It was uh, right, right. It, it was never like that. Yeah, it had room to develop. It had room yeah, to, yeah, uh, yeah. And also had an amateur wrestling influence too. That the most of the wrestlers were trained both professional wrestling and amateur wrestling, freestyle wrestling. I mean, at the same at the dojo, that the practice session was the same. It was much more uh, serious than the American style at the time. But it was going to be uh, professional wrestling and it was going to be entertainment nonetheless. Mm -hmm. In yeah. a different way, yeah, that's right. In a different way. In as, as early as 1955, women's wrestling in Japan had television. Yeah, their own television. In Japan? Yeah, yeah. Which channel was that on? Uh, it was not a regular weekly program, like a one-hour show every week, but when they had their um, title matches, you know, the, the women's wrestling in Japan had a little bit different setup. Like uh, they had got the flyweights or bantamweights, uh, the featherweight and lightweights, and, uh, you know, then the heaviest one was a middleweight. You know what I'm saying? Uh, much like boxing, huh? And that's what that's, the wrestling becomes, in Japanese wrestling becomes little bit deceiving because they treated this similar to boxing therefore people watched it as a sport right i think that seemed to be the um just kind of how things were around the 40s and 50s boxing and wrestling were probably as linked as a ever yeah, yeah like a joe louis sailor era yeah sure yeah i mean you, you know the the ring magazine there was also the ring wrestling oh version. yeah o over here too the boxing magazine and wrestling magazine were, were the one and the same at the beginning the the idea it came it came from that sort of um the the sports aren't the same but the businesses are similar and ring looked similar sure <laughs> sure yeah, and had a ring announcer and referee. They dressed the same, you know. Similar approaches, uh, you know, and a, a lot of boxing fans were wrestling fans and vice versa until, I mean, things developed in different ways over right. here and over in Japan too. Right, and there was um, um, also that the company against company thing even ha happening even in, in the late 60s even within women's wrestling, there were like a comp five, six different company. It was um, unified into Nippon Joshi Pro Wrestling uh, Association once in six, 1967. All the company joined to become like big one big company, Nippon Joshi Pro Wrestling, Japan Pro Joshi Pro Wrestling Association, right? And 1968, they they invited fabulous Muller to be, uh, to, you know, to, you know, basically, world champion to be brought in and leave the belt there. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like Ruthess. Sure. See, I don't know how many times Ruthess won the not just NWA World Heavyweight Title, but the, almost every part of part of the state, you know, com, you know, country that the where the wrestling was. When Ruthess was brought in, he was already World Heavyweight Champion. And probably lose to your local superstar. Therefore, you can create your local world heavyweight championship belt, not uh, that, that that in in that town. 
Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, because cool. the the champion uh, isn't from the area. He goes on his way. The local wrestler stays. They got their own belt. The territory has its own belt now. It's an Therefore, organic transition. you have transition. many many world heavyweight champion in wrestling. That's sure. like a, just like men's. Yeah, it happened in women's wrestling in Japan in 1968 too. The fabulous Mura came and left, right? And there was Japanese stars at the time. Yuki, you know, like a Yuki Kotomoe, the you know all, all this like a, the people way before Mahafumiake or Beauty Pair. I mean, ooh, I mean, decades before Crash Girls and Bonakano. You know what I'm saying? But uh, in 1968, this Nippon Joshi Pro Wrestling Association had a big split. Japan Joshi Pro Wrestling and All Japan Pro Wrestling. That became uh, that the uh, All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling that we all know of. That's the beginning of it. 1968, Matsunaga Brothers. Yeah. So who were the Matsunaga Brothers? Uh... Matsunaga Brothers are four brothers. Actually, uh, they, they were five brothers, but the one brother, you know, never got involved. So all four of them, the real brothers. They were like a post-war into the 50s to early 60s. They were uh, conjunction with women's wrestling. They were they were boxers and and a judoka, and they actually worked what looks like MM today's MMA, but work you know judo against boxing, um, wrestler against boxer or judoka against wrestler or something like that. They were doing it among brothers. Mm. They're working, yeah. And also running company, and also they are building rings. They are also running concessions. They are sitting at the tab- tables and rings and all these things, and they and they pack up and go to another town, barnstorming. That the root of women's wrestler, the Matsunaga brothers were uh, promoters, and I guess a lot of wrestlers and and, and their relatives and cousins are all married to each other or something. And they, you know what I'm saying? Mm. That uh, it's kind of like your. Uh, uh, what's the famous family in Tennessee? You know that uh, the Welch and, and uh, no, well before Jared, uh, the Welches and Fuller's. Yeah, Herb uh, Welch and in 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 yeah yeah, and all the you know Welches and the Fuller, like a body Fuller sons and their cousins and all the referee and and and, and the daughters all married to wrestlers and all this. You cannot count them all, but. The, there was such family as a Welch family in, in Tennessee. They ran wrestling through 1920s to 30s and 40s. Much like that in Japan, Matsunaga brothers ruled the women part of professional wrestling industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to make a long story short. And uh, therefore, in 1968, that uh, all Japan women's pro wrestling finally were, was born. And Japan, Women's Pro Wrestling had uh, had Channel 12, uh, not regular show, but whenever the champion comes and have a title title match, like you know, uh, they air that as a TV special. And all Japan's Women's Pro Wrestling had Channel 8, Fuji Television. Mm-hmm. So two channels, network channels that didn't carry men's wrestling at the time, wanted to have women's wrestling on on the channels. That helped. 
now it was good that we skipped, you know, all the way from 1950s and 1960s, and now it's late 1960s into yeah. early 70s. It's pretty <laughs> amazing, yeah. Well, yeah, it's that's how. Um, I mean, that's just how it developed. I mean, like you said, Yuki Dozan, who was the boss for a good chunk of that time, wasn't interested in having women's oh, wrestling and, on the shows. Even or... during the Ricky Dozan's era, there's like a five, six other wrestling companies in Japan that the Ricky Dozan had to conquer hmm. and be made into one. Yeah. You know, there was one in Osaka, there was one in Kumamoto, that the, the one that the Masahiko Kimura was running, and there were quite a few men's wrestling companies besides JWA. Ricky Dozan conquered, you know, one by one and made it into big, huge JWA. And something similar that, you know, in the women's wrestling industry happened, but it, that the women's wrestling were never covered as a news, as uh, like in, in the Tokyo sports, in the news, you know, like your know, tabloid newsstand newspapers, they didn't really put result of women's matches for longest time. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the details of these, you know, records in, 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 uh, in the title, title match or the who are the champions is all kind of sketchy, up, you know, to this date. It was Rashi Ogawa, you know, in nineteen seven, in the late nineteen seventy, actually nineteen seventy eight to be exact, when Rashi, twenty one year old Rashi Ogawa, started working for All Japan Pro, you know, Women's Pro Wrestling, he went all the way back and tried to have as accurate as possible record of who was the champion and what day in town, you know, that the title match happened and then then the championship changed hand, all these things. And Ross, 21-year-old Rossi Ogawa did all the research. Did you know that? I didn't know he was that deeply uh, connected <laughs> to the lineage of women's wrestling. He is one of the last. Uh, he started, oh, God, right now, now the, the 65-year-old Rossi is the king of Joshi Pro Wrestling in Japan after all. But uh, 21-year-old, you know, uh, Rossi, young Rossi Ogawa started working for All Japan Women's Wrestling as early as 1978 he was only 21 interesting huh mm. yeah but uh he, 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 we'll get to rossi in a little bit but the women's wrestling you know start having actual written history around that time mm-hmm. so the first 20 years of women's wrestling in japan still in you know kind of sketchy because there was no written history and i'm hoping that the war discovers some of the big old poster uh, you know that the, you'll probably find in your grandma's you know back the closet or somewhere you know what i'm saying you yeah. know okay so tell me this when joshi pro wrestling was like you said in the let's we're, we're, we're talking early 70s right now and yeah. we're talking about the newspapers and magazines did was it like uh, how things were at the shows where the women's promotions and the men's promotions were separate did they launch their own joshi pro wrestling publications or were they included in like gong baseball magazine in sections of that how how was the coverage what was the coverage like? uh all japan women's pro wrestling always had their own like a pamphlet and program at their show selling okay Okay, so you they know, had so their there own. There was like a, yeah. a almanac and posters and and the photos, and uh, but that's not really like a largely circulated publication, right? Right, it's for fans. You have to, yeah, you had to buy that you know piece of magazine at the show, and 
if it was 1968, I don't know if you even exist anymore. Or like I said, in somebody's garage somewhere, you might be able to discover, you know, uh, if they didn't throw it away. But uh, you need a big, huge superstar, okay? There was like a group of stars, like, you know, like, you know, uh, that was on television early, like a Jumbo Miyamoto and, you know, like early Fuji television program. But it wasn't until Mak Fumiyake, we call it Maha, Maha Fumiyake, okay? She was born in 1959, and she uh, was six feet tall, very pretty, uh, the former karate, Kyokushin karate fighter, who went into uh, the TV show called Star Tanjo. It's like a star search television, much like your today's uh, the America's Got Talent kind of show. Yeah, it wasn't until Maha Fumiyake, Mach, like a speed, that the, the, the faster than light, right? Like Mach 10, uh, yeah, Mach 60, yeah. Right, right, right. Maha Fumiyake became superstar of Joshi Pro Wrestling in 1974. She was only 15. The, the year before that, that the young 13, 14-year-old Maha Fumiyake went into a TV show called Star Tanjo. Star Tanjo is... Uh, like your star short show, much like today's your America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. Are you with me on that? Yep, yeah, America's Got Talent. Auditioning show. American Idol, yeah. something like that, like a talent. You're looking right, for right, the next right, big right. thing. Right, right, right. Talent, star, star short show. Talent search, She yeah. was a finalist. Yeah, she was a finalist. Fumiyake was a finalist of that show and almost got popular during that show too, but she did not win that. Uh, that the audition star star is born show instead uh, after that right after that she came to uh with her family she came to all japan women and and decided to become professional wrestler instead that was a huge hit she was going to be a pop singer and uh real pretty and tall like 180 centimeter like a six feet tall former kyokushin karate fighter and age of 15, she made sensational debut in 1974. She was the biggest star for that time period. Mahfumiyake. And she was the one who started singing in the ring because she was going to be a singer. So she was multi-talented, had a really unique look. Six feet tall for uh, at 15? Japanese woman. Yeah, in 1974. That's not, you wouldn't see that every day. You don't see that every day now. It's just like, uh, it very, it seems like a unique, unique body, unique personality. And also, Channel 8, uh, Fuji Television decided to have her on different, you know, different shows too. That promoted women's wrestling into really, into like a popular, uh, that the trend, pop culture right there, that let's go watch Mahafumiyake, right? She was kind of like a spokesperson, almost. A little, yes, yeah. But the, she, at the at the age of fifteen and sixteen, yeah, yeah, uh, she was more of like idol, idol mm-hmm. that didn't really have a word then. You know, the, the, she was on television, she was on movies, she was on TV commercial, she appeared on game show, the the singing shows, and, and later on she even sang. Then they, the channel, it was all Japan women's idea too, but the channel eight. Fuji Television wanted to have her in, you know, singing in that ring too. That started that tradition all the way to, you know, Crash Girls to Aja Kong to everybody singing in the ring, even Medusa. Yeah, 
that tradition remain next 20 years. You know, even but, uh, uh, Maki Ito singing on AEW. I guess, yeah, right, that's, right. That's, so Japanese women's you know. wrestler sings in the ring, right, and dance, yeah. So that that part still remains as a you know unique Japanese culture, but uh, actually Mahafumiyake was a pioneer of that. Mm. That uh, that the Mahafumiyake era has been somewhat overlooked because of the huge, super big, huge popularity of beauty pair that mm. came right after. How how close um, together were the, the those? Uh, they were Miyake? actually beauty beauty pair, Maki Ueda, Jackie Sato pair, and Mahafumiyake. They are all born in 1959, same age actually. Mm-hmm. And what happened was though that the uh, Mahafumiyake super sensational boom only lasted not even three years, much like Sayama Tiger Mask. Ah, you know, okay. phenomena okay. that uh, she was huge superstar, 74, 75 into 76. And the spring of 1976, she, before telling the company about it, she announced her retirement. And she, she felt that she'd done it all at the age of 17, that she walked away from women's wrestling. That is why she still remains as a, almost like a, uh, elusive or mysterious superstar that existed once upon a time. She's still a TV person and she's an actor and she's also an entrepreneur and she does a lot of things now. Now, now that the Mahafumiyaki is what, 63 now? But she's still a television person. But uh, as a wrestling portion of it, much like Dwayne Johnson, it will be forgotten. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was Mahafumiyake was a huge superstar, and was also a WWE champion, and in the ring, and uh, was a superstar for just three year period, much like Satoru Sayama's Tiger Mask era. They only lasted, uh, you know, a little less than three years. Therefore, that I think that the legend remains even bigger, I guess, because you can only watch her, you know, wrestling in old old tapes, you know, but. Uh, all in all, Mahafumiyake basically quit and walked out on wrestling in the, in the midst of her biggest peak popularity. And there were two new, you know, younger wrestlers, same age, same height, just as athletic, may not be as pretty, but uh, there was a tag team of beauty pair, beauty pair, Jackie Sato and Maki Ueda. And Fuji television people said, we got these girls. And then created beauty pair. The ta- this tag team also was really popular and actually a better worker in the ring than uh, Fumiyake was probably. And also this pair was uh, became much popular among teenage girls, and uh, therefore um, the the beauty pair tradition remains. After this beauty pair, you have black pair that you know that the uh, that the 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 golden the queen angels that uh, golden pair the uh, all the way to crash girls or jungle jack or whatever you know or even today's queen's quest or something that the, or the beauty women's Bader. beauty pair always had this little unit like a faction that the beauty pair was uh, was its uh, had its own like uh, like a it existed on their own you know. Hmm. And uh, the team was formed in February of 1976, 
and uh, their popularity lasted another three years, all the way till 1979. Yeah, and uh, you, we should put the that the YouTube video clip, short video clip of that the, the one you discovered that the sure. beauty pair movie trailer. Oh God, they had they were uh, they had their own movies, they had their own concerts. They had their, you know, when, when, when the wrestlers are so popular, you had to come up with gimmick, like a march, T-shirt, that uh, the, the other things, record, singing. I mean, not the CD or downloading music, but it was a record. You're talking about the vinyl, the single vinyl, you know, you know like a donut record you're talking mm -hmm. about. It was so popular that people bought records and there were movies they had their musical and uh yeah they did all these a decade before crash girls mm -hmm. we'll get to crash girls lioness asuka and chigusa nagayo era that was equally huge but if there was no uh if there was no mahafumiyake there was no no beauty pair if there was no beauty pair there wouldn't be uh, a crash girls that's what i'm talking about mm -hmm. That's a star-driven um, business, right? And that the Japanese Joshi women's wrestling uh, always had its own league and the own group of fans, the own wrestling community. It was never part of men's wrestling. See, during this, you know, Mahafumiyake and, and, and Beauty Pay era, of course, Giant Baba's wrestling existed. Antonio Inoki's, you know, New Japan existed. And it was, it was different. I mean, it was just super popular, but it was almost as if it was a different culture. Well, Does that make look, sense? Well, definitely. I mean, if you look at the, you can go on YouTube now and watch some of the old footage and you can see, look into the crowd. It's not your usual all Japan pro wrestling crowd. It's a, it's, a All lot teenage of girls. teenage girls. It's like girls probably age 12 to 16. Yeah, with confetti and headbands and the pom-pom and all these things. And the streaming, you know, like a, that the ribbon streaming being thrown into the ring. That tradition started in women's wrestling and moved on to men's wrestling. You know, they start throwing, so the streamers, you know, the multi, the, the, yeah, multi-color streamer. Those yeah. are from the, yeah. Uh, yeah, the beauty pair era. Yes. Teenage female fans. Yeah, and like a pop idols. Exactly. It's it's like a uh, like a pop group, like the same reaction that um Spice monkeys? Girls would have. Monkeys. Oh, yeah. We talked about yeah, earlier. Yeah. Like, Bay City Rollers or something like that. Like oh, one of those similar. acts one of those Just acts happen that, to be rose. Yeah, they, they happen to be wrestlers, but they also sing and they act in their own movies and they're in commercials mm -hmm. and they're on variety shows at night. They're, I think yeah. that it's, it's a, a big, big part of understanding the popularity behind a lot of these. Uh, yeah, and then also wrestlers. Japanese television at night is like a game show heaven, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's <laughs> what I'm so proud of it, but. That's when adults are watching uh, television in Japan, and uh, those so shows like Downtown, those are still the most popular shows. Those are what most people like to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also we got to understand in you know mid to seven, you know late seventies into eighties, there was no such thing as internet, therefore no social media. Of course, not even not even the internet, and not even the VHS, you know VCR that you have to watch actual television when it's going yeah when it's on you, you got to watch it unless you have a vcr and you can tape yeah it, but that didn't when come did you have later. your first vcr 
Um, <laughs> Your parents' house. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I don't have. I didn't a, buy my yeah. My first VCR until memory. like eighty four, eighty five. Probably eighty eighty eight. Probably when my my yeah. younger brother was born. But I, oh, I really okay. I don't I don't remember. But I think um, I remember when no, I got yeah. my first uh, tape rewinder. Did you have one of those <laughs> tape recorders? No, no, they, cassette tapes. They're like oh, the open reel. No, no, no. Oh, not like the open reel. It's like uh, you basically take the VHS tape and you put it into this little. Um, it just looks like a slot, and you you put it into the slot. It's a little machine. You you press down on it. You press the button, and it rewinds the tape for you after you watch the movie. Because at the ah. rental shop, they always you reminded have to you rewind to rewind it all the way to the beginning. Oh, Please be okay. kind, rewind. <laughs> okay. So right. I had, uh, See, I, in the 90s, I had era, <laughs> The beauty pair era, we didn't even have, or, or not just we, but the, the, the world. This world didn't have VCR, you know? Right. But just uh, now that the, on YouTube, somebody had these original tapes or the, the dubbing of original. Now this the, the old footage of Beauty Pair or even Mahafumiyake start popping up on YouTube, which is good, which is good, you know? But uh, now we can learn, really learn because all Japan women's popularity in 90s, enormous, right? But there was such era in mid-70s there was Mahafumiyake era and right after that, the beauty pair, Jackie Sato and Maki Weda, but that, the beauty pair era thing only lasted another three years, 76, 77, 78. And in the beginning of 1979, at the Budokan, women, all Japan women ran Budokan shows then still, I mean, like already. And Maki Weda against Jackie Sato had a single match against each other. The loser has to retire. Then, therefore, the beauty pair was no longer, and Jackie Sato won the won the match and won the title, and Maki Ueda really retired for real. And she never came back. Never came back. Now she runs her own bar. Well, sixty three year old Maki Ueda still exists, you know, and people kind of visit, and then she still looks like Maki Ueda, wow. aged a little bit, but uh, yeah. And for the record, yeah, Jackie Sato passed away when, when she was, what, 41? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, she uh, had the stomach cancer. Yeah, and then and was living alone, so I uh, wasn't really, you know, fond for a while, you know? Mm. But uh, this beauty pair era was so huge. And th- therefore, you had this, you know, the whole three-year boom period phenomena. And what happened was that when beauty pair basically was broken up and you know they retired the character right what happened was those teenage female fans retired too i see yeah yeah it's purely a connection with that generation yeah because what the the basically rollers only lasted in a few years boom period or your monkeys when tv was on they were popular but when when the tv show was gone people found another tv show right i i never knew the bay city rollers were that popular i only know the one song i i think i don't bye know bye what, baby no i only know saturday night 
Saturday night. <laughs> okay. Yeah, oh, they were so huge. Yeah. Okay. There, you yeah. know the the, to, the little side discussion, but there it's funny that there are some bands that are really huge in Europe and they're really huge in Japan and South America. It was but never in big States, in America that much. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's it could be one of those situations. Because it's the same time period that the band Kiss hit in in America. Ah. Uh, you know, guys like Kiss over Bay City Rollers. Bay City Rollers was for kids. I mean, for girls. Seventh, seventh grade girls. It was like, um, what was the guy from Partridge Family? Um, what's Leaf uh, Cassidy? Leaf Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so same thing. But the beauty period remained. But the, what, the, the old Japan women's wrestling television was still on and you had a queen angels that uh, Lucy Kayama and Tami Aoyama then golden pair Nancy Kumi and Victoria Fujimi that the black pair Yumi Ikeshita and, and uh, Mami Kumano that the, 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 you know that the semi stars there and the TV show was there and then in, you know in 1980 you have 16 year old you know, Jaguar Yokota and Devil Masami, you know, you know, arrival, right? And uh, there were, uh, and also Mimi Mimi Hagiwara, that another former pop singer turned wrestler. She was popular too for a short period of time. Hmm. And uh, you had to wait till 1984 Crash Girls period. Crash Girls is Chigusa Nagayo and Laone Sasuka. That the, now that the Chigusa Nagayo trains, also she there was a 1990s Gaia Japan period where she trained dozens of women's wrestlers, and also that the Gaia Girls documentary film got popular in America too, right? I think like more in England. Training. Yeah, it was real it was brutal BBC. training. Really yeah, intense yeah. scenes with her and Satomura, young Satomura. 15-year-old Satomura, yeah. So uh, it's like there's always a link to the next generation of superstars. Isn't mm -hmm. that interesting? The, the yeah. link is still there with Rossi. That's yeah, right. Ones. Yeah, yeah, because he was not a wrestler, so he never retired, and that's his life, you know? And Rossi was there when... Well, actually, 25-year-old Rossi was dr driving Crash Girl's van every day. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I'd love so to read the, his book, the the book that he wrote on his phone one day. Oh yeah, he wrote the entire book on his iPhone. That's amazing. Just a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, now he's a king of stardom, and uh, he uh, he finally reached his peak. Now you know, hmm. yeah. Interesting, but uh, yeah. So uh, we touched upon these things today, but uh, now that the, the, the I, I think this episode one was that that the Japanese women's wrestling as a whole has actually a lot longer history than, than the people know about. Mm -hmm. There are That's some one. gaps. We're trying to fill in the gaps, I suppose. Especially. Oh God, uh, I haven't even. I mean, know, we did our so best. So much to learn. Yeah, there's. there's yeah. I mean, I, I think there. The broad strokes are there for sure, and one difficult thing about Joshi Pro Wrestling is that if you do look in more and more within the history of it, it's much yeah. harder to find good resources on history. Good, I mean, because it was never there. covered in print media, even right. in Japan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but then we do know that in 19, early fifties, uh, nineteen fifty-one to be exact, that there was a Milde Bark influence on it. And in late 1960s, 
1968 to be exact, there was fabulous Muller, Muller's influence on it. And there was a Lucha Libre influence on it as a style, because a lot of Mexican female wrestlers came over here and stayed length of times and trained with Japanese wrestlers. And all Japan women's wrestlers traditionally were trained under Lucha uh, technique, that therefore there's a mix of right hand and you know, working right, working left. You know, working left, turn right, working right, turn left. They, they did the both. But the, basically, for a long time, Japanese Joshi pro wrestling had this almost like a unique lucha influence on it. That is that need to be focused. And there was star power uh, that uh, like out of blue that, that they created or, or the Star Wars born in Mahafumiake, huge, huge superstar that uh, who started singing in the ring and it was a big, huge pop phenomena and uh, but it was short-lived but she walked away and then then, then you have right after Mahafumiake, there was beauty pair era jackie sato and maki Ueda. it w- became even more popular and therefore it really finalized the style of joshi pro wrestling in japan yeah that's as far as we can get today i guess i don't know yeah but so we had that's the, the first the, when, stage. when yeah when when beauty pair retired all these teenage fan left too you know but mm-hmm. the old japan women were still running 250 to 300 show on the road every day all through the year on the bus and in 1978 21 year old rasi ogawa joined the company and also i think i mean when we talk about the fans of the crush cows also retiring along with them. That also yeah. Opened and then up. there was a, there was a, there was a short dark age until you had to wait till the rise of Bonacano. Yeah, and and that kind of the bull dump Matsumoto and uh, the beginning of that era of all Japan women's wrestling. Uh, actually, Bonacano had two peak era because she was you know like a understudy of. Dump Matsumoto era, but uh, in in as of 1985-ish, Bonacano became solo, big time superstar on her own. I think what I wanted to get to is that when Crush Gal's fan base of teenage girls left, it opened up all Japan's um, path. Um, it it, it kind of it's it sort of gave them a right turn to start promoting and marketing to a more men-centric or, or male audience in Japan. Yeah, let me squeeze one more element to it. Right after Crash Girls, both Chigusa Nagayo and Lioness As- Asuka, uh, re- basically, you know, they, they'll may come back a little bit later on, but uh, had, had their first retirement in 1989, Medusa was brought in to live in Japan by Rashi Ogawa. Alundra Blaze to some. Yeah, to some. And 26-year-old Madusa Michelli came from Minnesota and lived in Japan for three years and learned the language and did all the singing in the ring and all these promotions, the picture book and the image videos and all these things that was done to done pre- previously with, with Beauty Pair and Mahafumiake. All the same method was applied to Madusa in 1989. Interesting. There's a, lot, there's a lot of interesting stuff we have to get to just in the 1980s alone. 
1980s okay. were an interesting decade. So next time, I guess yeah, we can start yeah. with talking more about, you know, Beauty, beauty Pair and... Uh, NW Beauty Pair and a short period, a little bit of Dark Age, but uh, the, the barnstorming style of All Japan Pro Wrestling running 300 shows a year, it remained. And there was a Crash Girls era. There was Jaguar Yokota. There was Devil Masami. Then... 1989 there was medusa so we gotta get we gotta start from around there yeah and i think Next all time. of those uh names that you just mentioned are, are i i think you can see they're le- legends huh you, you, but you can see and feel the influence of especially those four for example there's you can still feel their influence today in today's women's wrestling and today's men's wrestling too Oh, I mean, Jaguar, Yokota, Devil Masami, the Crash mm-hmm. Girls, Lioness mm-hmm. Asuka, and, very unique, Nagayo, and very unique. even Medusa. And Bonakano Aja Kong. Yeah. They're very, very... Aja still work in the ring today, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to this day. Yeah. Each is so yeah. unique. Each is so different, too. Um, right. And... and also, we'll get to the point where how they reached out to men's audience. Because Bonakano era, they drew men's audience, therefore, true mm-hmm. wrestling fans. And... Mm-hmm not as fragile as a peak period, you know, that the wrestling fans didn't leave. That uh, we can go probably all the way to 1994 Tokyo Dome show next period, next episode, huh? Oh, the long I one. hope so. That might need its <laughs> yeah. own episode. All right. But uh, I think uh, people enjoyed the very, this is like a very beginning of like a women's wrestling in Japan 101 lesson <laughs> yeah you know? in, and you know because we covered a lot today but like we were talking about earlier there are so many um blind spots in the in this yeah, yeah. um this in part between, of wrestling history so if anybody has yeah, questions or, or yes or yeah comments or anything like that or or, or areas, to answer that and yeah and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be putting together pieces of puzzle ourselves yeah yeah because yeah. It, it's something that's actually it's even in Japanese, it's it's kind of hard to uh, put the pieces together because there's not ma- that many pieces. Because not too many people really watched like last few, 50 years of it without any absence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's interesting I, to I understand mean, to be honest, why. Yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't watch, you know, I was there, but I didn't really seriously, you know, watch uh, Beauty Pair all that much. Well, there were other big uh, things going on at the time. It's understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And women's wrestling during this, you know, beauty pair era, it was on like a Sunday Sunday afternoon, you know. And uh, that was Sunday afternoon wasn't the time I was watching television, (laughs) you know. But it was, uh, it did kind of develop this different audience, a, a, a unique audience for that product. Yeah, and then all Japan women's wrestling were running as, just as many shows as any men's company mm-hmm. all through the year. Yeah, all over, not in uh, not all just over Tokyo. Japan. Oh no, all over. I think they ran more country shows than men's company. Yeah, and uh, I heard some uh, horror stories of those tours and women ha- with the, uh, <laughs> the IV stuck in them and on the bus, uh, exhausted, dehydrated. Broken bones, bruises, all that good stuff. Yeah, and then all, all Japan women's wrestling traditionally was so self-sufficient that the girls built the ring. They put the seat, you know, and they, you know, were standing in the concession. They tore down the ring. They packed, and, you know, they were back in bus or trucks, and they were here they went to another town, next town, you know. 
and uh, therefore, like a 19th century barnstorming, you know, that the elements were all there. Yeah. There's lots to cover, so let's get into lots it next to cover. time. So yeah, if you have oh, questions I or, hope so. or, or any uh, comments, I'm, I'm or... hoping that the people got real interested in this, in this whole history, unique history of women's wrestling in Japan, which is completely separate from men's wrestling culture. Mm, yeah. But it's important to understand because when you understand that, you understand a lot more elements of uh, of wrestling in general. Uh, and and also became something very extent. unique because they didn't have men's wrestling influence. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You, know, they you were can really never, see that. Yeah. You can see that. Yeah, they now. were never part of men's company. You know, that's what's unique about Japanese women's wrestling. Yeah, yeah. It, it developed on its own instead of within yeah. the yeah. men's. Well, it developed differently over in the States. But, um, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep talking about it. We'll get into it more next week. So if we have questions or if you have questions or anything like that, Fumi, how can people get a hold of you? On Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O, at Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Message me first. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K N I P P E R on Twitter. Uh, reach out on Twitter, Patreon, email, all that good stuff. Other than that, we're going to get into the silver age of Joshi Pro Wrestling next week. So until <laughs> next time, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.